Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be at this holy place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. Allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break the chains of all evil and sin that holds us captive. May in this service be cursed all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness. All of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your redemption, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. Allow us to discover your shining countenance. I lay the service in your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
The book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 20. There is desirable treasure and oil in dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. And therefore, according to this proverb, a wise person as well as a foolish person have the same treasure and the same oil. The difference is in this, that a wise person values and treasures his treasure and finds his satisfaction in it, whereas the foolish wastes it because he does not know its true value. The place where wheat is kept, the barn houses, is an image of treasures that do not diminish, and oil is authority over the treasure in our heart. The house of the wise and the foolish in this proverb are things like a pasture, so this is referring to the house is the church of Christ, where we come to. The house is also our inner man, our inner person, where the word is sent. From this house we receive a treasure, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, all of these definitions talk about the pasture for the sheep and the place of their dwelling or their feeding, which we view as the place and food for our pure thinking. Lusts are... The fact that this treasure is desirable is his the desire of the wise in relation to his treasure in relation to his treasure. He finds satisfaction in his treasure, whereas the foolish lack desire towards their treasure. And this is comprised of the fact that he finds his satisfaction in diminishing riches, and he tries to in the through spiritual principles of faith to gain decaying riches, thinking that these kind of things are called to serve as, as, as a blessing for him. One of the spiritual principles that is a part of the pure treasure that is kept in heaven in our hearts simultaneously, which the wise keep and are satisfied, but the foolish waste, is the opportunity to share all good with a person who instructs us instructs us on the word of faith galatians chapter 6 verses 6 through 8 let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever man sows that he will also reap for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption according to this place of scripture the foolish uh, the foolish contain this principle if you sow money, you will reap money. Although, in fact, the phrase, what a person sows, thus he shall reap, this is referring not to the seed itself, but the soil in which we are called to sow the money that we have earned. Because depending on our relationship to uh, to the soil and the subject of the spirit of the flesh, money can turn for us either as the root of all evil or the root of all good. 
1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Those who desire to be rich into temptation will fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so, the root of all evil is love for money, which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. A wise person sees in the law of reaping and a sowing and reaping this principle. The kind of soil that you sow your money, the kind of quality of this soil will coincide the kind of harvest that we will that we will reap. Treasure, desirable treasures in the image of oil and the anointing power of the faith of God exists so that through it we can take control over money and sow it in the Spirit. As soon as we accept the idea that having sown money we will reap money, we are found in the authority of the great uh, of the seducing powers, the demonic king or demonic prince Mammon, and we are responsible to select the kind of soil that we are sowing in. When we worship God in tithes and offerings, it's very important to search for God and His righteousness, not money, not prosperity, but God and His righteousness. Search first for the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. On all of this shall be added to you. All of this is referring to being found in the physical dimension for which God carries responsibility and has taken this prerogative upon himself. But we take God's role and we begin to use the principles of faith in order to become enriched. Only God knows whom he has trusted what in order to bring a person to imperishable riches. And therefore, when we worship God in tithes and offerings here momentarily, having accepted His authority and expressing and doing so our love to Him, we will sing a song together called, Let Jesus Reign in My Heart. Let us stand, and this is an opportunity each time when we worship God in tithes and offerings to cut the root of all evil and in doing so, glorify God. Bind mammon in ourselves. Mammon is found in each person in the face of the old man. This is a person, this is a programmable device with which we were born. As David says, in lawlessness I was conceived in, in sin my mother bore me. Therefore, for us, it is necessary each time when we do this, we bind him. We cut the root of all evil, which is love for money. This is what Satan hates the most on the face of our old man. This is that which the communist authorities had done, having allowed the churches. They said, you honor your God. You give him good offerings, voluntary offerings, but don't say anything about tithes, they said. They knew fully well that Voluntary offerings outside of the context and format of tithes has no respect toward God. If we want to respect God, our voluntary and good offerings must be brought in the format of tithes, as God has said, because tithes are hallowed and all of the rest is from the evil one. And therefore, let us sing together.
We will rejoice that we have this privilege to honor God, to worship before Him, and to acknowledge His authority. And therefore, each time Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the temple of Tabernacle Moses, the Temple of Solomon, he was called. They were called to, according to the revelation that Moses had received, to raise their hands over their offerings and proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offering and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give impurely. I do not give in sorrow. And I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
не видал, ни один сторожил. Он воскрес, и его воскресенье принесло нам и радость и свет. Нас звучит города киселения, он воистину в славе воскрес. Воскресные темные, когда люд звал спокойно в ту ночь, Ты свершилась, но чудо огромное, Бог явил свою правду и мощь. Он воскрес, и его воскресенье принесло нам и радость и свет, Нас звучит в городах и селения. If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to keep the depth of wisdom, the depth of things we don't yet understand, but that belongs to our inheritance in Jesus Christ and our relationship with God. The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48 that you may be, this is a command that is addressed to the children of God, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, 
For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. This place of scripture speaks of the fact that if we do not become perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, as He sends the Son, and it is over the righteous and unrighteous, and our Son be over the righteous and unrighteous, and our reign be over the just and unjust, then we will not inherit salvation and will lose it and lose our sonhood. And linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebekah to Isaac and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebekah presented these signs in the virtue of the lilies of the valley, upon which we are called to look with the eyes of our heart or with the eyes of faith, so we may form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father, and for this purpose she left her nation, her house, and her former life, so she may go to her groom Isaac by following Eleazar, the overseer of the house of Abraham. Eleazar is presented in Scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that had come down upon the disciples of the Lord in the day of the celebration of the Pentecost to bring the small flock into the perfection in Christ Jesus. We note that in our situation celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost to follow after the Holy Spirit is receiving the Holy Spirit into our heart not as a greatly honored guest but as the Lord of our life which will allow us to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit upon the conditions that are written in Scripture so we can be led by the Holy Spirit and have evidence of our sonhood for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Romans 8.14. If a person is not led by the Holy Spirit, then his sonhood is under serious question, and his salvation, of course, then is under serious question. A person not taught how to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of his life will never be able to bind himself to the Holy Spirit that he received as a great guest and understandably will not be able to be led by the Holy Spirit. In result, this person will lose his sonhood, that is, he will lose his salvation. And we more than once noted that you can speak in tongues and not have insufficiency in any gift, and at the same time remain a person of the flesh, not having the Spirit, and will resist all that comes from the Spirit of God. This is what Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians, that you don't have insufficiency in any gift, you speak in tongues, but yet I can't speak with you as a spiritual people, because you are people of the flesh. And you may say, well, they're spiritual children. What? Every one of us is given time, and we are spiritual children for a certain amount of time. But time comes where you need to uh, rise and need to change over to transform yourself into perfection. But children often don't want to do this because they don't want to start taking uh, everything is understood everything is clear but now it's time to process your own and work 
for your in yourself. Therefore, speaking in tongues and practice, practicing spiritual gifts is a spiritual experience, but it is not called to make us spiritual and to change our character into the character of Christ, the character we inherited from the sinful conduct and life of our fathers. Therefore, to change our character into the character of Christ, we are given the truth of the cross of Christ, contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, called to separate us from our nation, our house, and our fleshly desires. With all of this, we note that specifically during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the unique and destiny-affecting ability to either receive the Holy Spirit in the form of the Lord of our life, to then receive from Him and in Him strength, to perform a complete and total separation from our nation, from our house, and from our corrupt desires. To then, in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, bear to God the fruits of righteousness, that is, let uh, lead a godly life that carries the power of the resurrection of Christ, or receive the Holy Spirit in the form of a dear guest, and continue to remain in the dependence of your nation, your house, and your corrupt desires. Studying the revelation of the Holy Spirit, received by the most beautiful of women by the latch of the door in the symbol of the dew and the drops in the book of the Songs of Solomon, we note that the latch of the door through which the beloved was able to stretch his hand to her is the wise and willing decision to present yourself to God a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God for his good service and so the, the latch of the door the, the latch of the door that the door of our heart has speaks of the presence of the thummim in our heart which allows us to present ourselves to God a living sacrifice holy and acceptable for his good service at the same time the symbol of the hand of the beloved stretched through the latch of the door of the human heart is the revelation of the Holy Spirit that is revealed as the Urim, which reveals the uh, meaning of the Word of God that is within your heart, the thummim in your heart. And to have such a relationship with God where God would be able to hear man and man in turn would be able to hear God, it is necessary for us when carrying our cross to collaborate with the cross of Christ because the truth about the blood of Christ purifies us from sin and in this way dresses us into the justification of Christ. But it does not separate us from the uh, nature and the old sinful nature of man. At the same time, the truth about the cross of Christ separates us from the pro producer factory of sin. This is our old and sinful man. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence of the cross of Christ and the essence of our cross and the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ, as well as based upon what principles is our cross called and able to collaborate with the cross of Christ. And stop to study the next question. By what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit? And such signs are, are to be fruits of, re of righteousness or the fruits of resurrection in the fruits of the tree of life that bear fruits 12 times, giving its fruit each month. It's talking about the tree of life that needs to grow within our heart, that we need to grow from the seed of the kingdom of heaven that we have received by the preached word about the kingdom. In the New Jerusalem, as well as in the Eden of our heart, which is the place of our communication with God, the image of the living sacrifice upon the altar of twelve stones are the twelve pearly gates, which reveal our abiding with Christ in his trials. This is the price. And these twelve pearly gates signify our abiding with Christ and his trials. 
and this is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging twelve tribes of Israel, Luke 22, 28 through 30. The kingdom of heaven, which we see as the inheritance of eternal life, is presented in the Eden of our heart in the image of the tree of life that bears fruit twelve times, giving its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. The tree of life that bears this fruit, we began to look in the, at these things in the feasts uh, that the Israel had a holy year, and there are a lot of celebrations and feasts, and the feasts that ended uh, fell in, on this month identified the fruit. There was a celebration, and this was fruit that would be a celebration for God. In a particular format, we have looked at the fruits of our spirit presented in the symbol of the fruits of the tree of life that were yielded within the first new three months of the holy year, and have been studying the fruits of the spirit symbolizing the fruit of the tree of life in the new fourth month of the holy year. This month is Tammuz. It falls somewhere between the middle of June or July. This fruit we are called to bear to God so that we can be examples of the perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. In Israel, in the 17th day of the fourth month of Tammuz, the people fast in memory of the two broken tablets of Moses. In this month, those who live on elevations approach the harvest of the wheat, and the first grapes would begin to mature. It was the start of the summer heat. Upon practice, each feast that was accompanied with some sort of harvest, or more accurately, with was the harvest of some kind of sowing. We came to the conclusion that the broken tablets of the covenant symbolized the destruction or elimination by the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. This handwriting that is contained in the two broken tablets of the covenant that was against us, the Son of God in the image of Moses, took from our broken relationship with God and nailed it to the cross, therefore disarming principalities and powers, making them a public spectacle, triumphing over them in it. Colossians 2, 11 through 15. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, he took off of himself this uh, a body, fleshly body, and so to remove skin of an animal while it's still alive, if you remember, and then present it as an offering, a living sacrifice. First, an animal was usually slaughtered, and then it was uh, skin was removed and was washed and presented, but in this situation we see a sacrifice that is living, present yourself as a living sacrifice, but the skin is removed while it's still alive, this old sinful self, buried with him in baptism in which you also are raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Uh, 
If a man will not bear fruit of the new fourth month that is revealed in the two broken tablets of the covenant, so that he can have evidence of the fact that he is in Jesus Christ by the law of Moses, died for the law of Moses so he can live for God and live by God, then he will never or forever lose the salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee. For I, Galatians through 19 through 20, for I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Practically in this place of scripture, Apostle Paul explains what happened in the time of the breaking of the two tablets by Moses. In these two broken tablets of the covenant, we see the results that come from the confrontation of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. One law gives power to sin, and the other law taking power from this sin. Both laws by themselves are godly, and together present the holy, eternal, and unchanging in its essence nature of God, as well as His holy, good, and unchanging goals. Therefore, before we die by the law, for the very same law that gives power to sin so we can live for God, it is necessary for a person to be born from the seed of the word of truth, as it is written. James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Only born from the seed of the word of truth can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law by the law, to live for God through crucifixion with Christ. We need to... While we haven't been born from God, we don't exist as if to die for, by this law for this very law. We need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth from the seed of the word of truth from the other form of justification that we are called to receive as a confirmation of the previously received justification in the fruit of the seed. There's a difference between the seed and the fruit. When they show you a seed of, a ap of an apple and then they show you an apple, there's a difference. And so, there exists a great difference between the seed of justification by how we are born from God and the fruits of this seed, where our justification bears fruits of righteousness and receives confirmation of righteousness. To bear by the tree of life the fruits of the fourth new month, presenting within the heart of a man the kingdom of heaven that has come in power, identified in the two broken tablets of the covenant, establishing, establishing our justification in which we are called to bear fruits of righteousness, it, is, it was necessary for us to look at four classical questions, and these are, what is the natural essence or root of righteousness? From what wellspring does righteousness come and what is justification also what characteristics do the scriptures give the word righteousness justification and righteous Second, what purpose is justification supposed to fulfill? Or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself within a man? What conditions or requirements are we supposed to fulfill to receive justification and to be dressed into righteousness, into the fruit of this righteousness? By what results are we able to judge that we possess within our spirit the tree of life that bears the fruits of the fourth month, which is the fruit of righteousness? Considering the righteousness of God that we meet in the symbol of the broken tablets of the covenant, we see that it that the righteousness of God is multifaceted of many meanings and
has multiple functions. For this person purpose, we need to continue to study the first question and to understand what is the natural essence or root of righteousness. From what wellspring does righteousness come? And what is justification? And what characteristics do the scriptures give the word righteousness, justification, and righteous? We note that the etymology of words righteousness, justification, and righteous, righteousness contain a sufficiently rich in multiple meaning semantics. As these words are rev- are a revelation of who God is and what He has done for us, as well as what we need to do to inherit all that God has God has done for us, to possess the perfect, the perfection of our heavenly Father. In Hebrew, righteousness is holiness, the law, covenant, justification, righteousness, lawfulness, fairness, commandment, statute, regulation, judgment, justice, fairness, directness, faithfulness, and truthfulness, constance, continuation, and immutability, truthfulness, truth, wisdom, the light of life, honesty, sincerity, purity, the resurrection of life, the liberty of Christ. It's talking about what justification or righteousness is, how it's identified in God. Justification is eternal redemption purchased from the bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not inputting of sin, taken into the personal belonging and lot of God, being adopted or adoption, resurrection from the dead resurrection of a person in Christ Jesus from the dead. The word righteous is holy, acceptable, guiltless, upright, honest, fair, free from the oath, not bounded by sin, dead to sin, living for righteousness, being in a covenant with God, relying and trusting in God, pleasant, finding the favor of God, honoring God with your tithes and and your offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ. And so righteousness is hope and trust in God, faith that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him, peace with God based upon a covenant with God, sanctification of your dedication, observation of the justice of God, expressing holiness and performing justice, expressing upright joy, remaining in your church, offering to God a sacrifice of praise, honoring God with tithes and offerings, and revealing virtue in your faith. And so virtue, if you remember that there's a whole series of virtue and then there's a whole series of fruits that we need to bear. Looking at the truth be told multifaceted, multi-meaning and multifunctional statement, we note that the scriptures consider these terms legitimate and lawful in regards to man only and exclusively within the format and boundaries of the service of justification. The service of justification is based on and established upon the law of grace that is contrary to the service of condemnation which we see at the, in the law of Moses. If in the service of condemnation the foreman of the law of Moses was given to the sinful and lawless man, then following the breaking of the two tablets where a person, where a person received justification, 
New tablets of the covenant were carved, now not by God but by man, and is given to people with righteous hearts that receive their justification by those very two tablets by the fact of their birth. And so God took upon himself sin. He died, and these broken tablets is with the death of the Lord Jesus. He died, he is the word of God, and he died, he was broken, and he took and nailed to the cross, and was nailed to the cross, and the two new tablets of the covenant, there's a difference between the old and the new. Concerning the fact that justification that a man received in the two broken tablets of the covenant, the symbol of the new tablets that were carved and written by man upon the tablets of his heart were unable to condemn the righteousness of God in man and actually gave the justified man power to be a minister of the new covenant to perform the righteousness of God. And so the devil says, you sin, you have no more opportunity. But the scriptures say, if the righteous falls seven times, he will still rise. Why? Because my children, I write to you, do not sin. But even if you do, we have Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to be restored. However much you fall, you have the opportunity to be restored in your justification in God. And every time our falling will uh, will mean that you were victory victorious over sin. As soon as you repent, you are victorious over the sin. This is a miracle. This is a miracle to sin for a righteous man to sin, and the righteous will fall and stand up again. The unclean will fall and not stand up again. If the righteous falling would be a sinner, he would lose his sonhood in God. He would no longer be a son of God. But oftentimes, I will tell you, just as an example of men, if I have a child and I tell him, be careful, there are holes here, there are puddles here, and he doesn't listen to me. And he actually takes his hand from mine, falls and broke his knee or or got got muddy, got dirty, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, that's it, you're no, lo no longer my son because you, you fell into the, into the puddle. No, you're not going to do that because your heart will begin to have compassion to this child. Compassion and pain for this child. You will pull him out you will wash him and you will bind his wounds and you will begin to comfort him and carry him in your hands. This is what God does when we sin in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, this was not so. The law gave power to sin and the power of sin is the law. But here, the power of sin, of the the power of the law destroys sin. There's a difference between the two. Some say, "How is it? These are the same Ten Commandments." Do you think in the in the grace of God there's no Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments exist there, but they have more holiness. This is the law of grace. This is not just some kind of uh, list of, of 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 rules, but this is a 
holy law and is greater than the law of Moses and in it we are comforted if a person there was afraid here you don't need to be afraid God comforts and so again considering that fact that justification uh, fact of that justification that we receive in these two tablets of the covenant we are given the power to minister to be ministers of the new covenant and perform the righteousness of God 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 3, 6 through 11 who also made us sufficient or as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look you see, the other law was so glorious that the children of Israel were not able to look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. It was temporary. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Based on the given place of Scripture, we see that the righteousness of God revealed within the boundaries of grace that rose from the two broken tablets became the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The righteous man, in accordance to Scripture, is a God-fearing man, one honoring the law of grace and not sinning against the law of grace. Considering that righteousness identifies and finds itself in holy truth, it is necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and which of the two terms grows from this root. And so that such relative terms as holiness, truth, and righteousness not be looked at, the sa as, at as the same thing, although they are similar. Each one of them has specific definitions and purposes that are in accordance to their essence. For example, based upon the definition in Scripture, righteousness comes from the united root of two terms, holiness and truth. At the same time, the unity of, the whole, of holiness and truth reveals itself in righteousness, just as the Father reveals himself in his Son, and the seed reveals itself in the fruit. And so truth... Holy, holy truth bears righteousness. From this we can conclude that holy truth is the foundation and root that the righteousness of God is to be built upon and from which the righteousness of God grows in the heart of a man. Therefore, holy truth is the determination of the state of the human heart. At the same time, holy righteousness is the expression of the state that is contained in holy truth. This is already the fruit of this righteousness. In this way, holy righteousness is holy truth in action or the result of what holy truth produces. Therefore, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the springs of its genesis. That is the root of holy truth or the holy word of the truth that is written in Scripture. 
So for us not to be of empty words, we needed to confirm with the Holy Scriptures the genesis of righteousness from the root that is identified as the holy truth as well as the natural characteristics of righteousness itself called to identify the state and behavior of the righteous man. Justification itself as well as confirmation of this justification that we are called to receive in the two broken tablets demonstrating the death of the Lord Jesus will address and lead us into the inheritance of the righteousness of God. We see the stunning multi-meaning and multi-functioning of the righteousness of God contained in the broken tablets that capture the entire specter of the relationship of God with man. I won't be going through what we already studied again, but we'll immediately turn to the next studies of the essence of the holy righteousness that has been elevated by God in the two tablets of the covenant. The judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the word of God that in nature is the holy wellspring, holy root, and holy foundation for the judgment of all righteousness. <clears throat> Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. <clears throat> we note that when talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God is the first most truth, we need to always understand that this is holy truth and that it is this is not just truth but holy truth that identifies the inner essence of the entrails of God because God by his eternal unchanging and immeasurable natural essence is firstly everlastingly holy. Therefore, every characteristic, including the righteousness of God, that comes from His unchanging and natural essence of His truth, is eternal and always holy. Due to this, the righteousness of God is firstly... Uh, so, you may understand that the love of God is always a holy love. God loves everyone, people say, but when it's a holy love, it's a completely different thing. The righteousness of God is firstly always a holy righteousness, eternal, unchanging, and unconditional. The word holy first belongs to God and only after, after to those who are born from Him. The essence of this characteristic is that God is holy by His na eternal nature. He is eternally separated from evil and is not part of any found evil. His love is firstly always a holy love and further is a selective love. God is not able to love that which in its beginnings is not holy. His holy love is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. And to the lawless, he loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis or its beginning, and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis or its beginnings. A righteous, per a holy person can commit a, a lawless deed, but that doesn't make him unclean and lawless because he, from his genesis, is righteous and holy and has the opportunity to repent. But a person in his nature from his beginning who is unholy unrighteous falls only once and does not stand up again these are trees that the father did not plant 
You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45, 7. It's talking about Christ. Righteousness and lawlessness are two battling with each other programs that out of a programmable system, that is a person or an angel, are unable to reveal themselves or function. And so a program out of a programmable system does not work. And so there is no abstract righteousness or abstract lawlessness. It only reveals itself or functions within a living programmable system that's either a person or an angel. God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels and from the beginning hated, hated the profane to him lawlessness in man and angels. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that did not keep their position and man also who did not accept the love of truth and defile the temple of their spirit are vessels of his sun scorching and powerful wrath. At the same time, carriers of his holy righteousness, keeping themselves from getting in contact with lawlessness and the lawless, are vessels of his mercy. As it is written, Romans 9:22 through 24, and other places as well. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, and that we might make known? And so he kept them, not to show them mercy, but prepared them, kept them for destruction, to keep them in the position they're in now, so that he may destroy them. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for his glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. In a particular format, we have already looked at what virtues the scriptures give the righteousness of God in the broken tablets of the covenant and what purpose the righteousness of God is called to fulfill in the heart of a man and stop to study the next question. By what characteristics do we by what characteristics do we determine a righteous man? Or by what measure, measuring tool are we to determine the righteousness of God in man? Considering the materials we have already gone through regarding the signs that allow us to identify or determine a righteous man, we will continue our study on topic. The righteousness of the righteous is determined by the ability received by the present Thummim to hear and listen within his heart to the wisdom of God in the revelations of the Urim. Proverbs 8.6 Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. All that the wisdom of God reveals in our spirit in the revelation of the Urim, identified in our spirit the government of the Holy Spirit, is called to be examined and determined by the characteristics of righteousness that satisfy the requirements of Scripture. Otherwise, we will come to false teaching. If the Urim reveals to us, but in the Thummim we don't have this, then we need to deny this kind of revelation. If we cannot confirm the revelation that is given to us by the Holy Scriptures, then this is not the revelation of God. If God begins to reveal to men in their dreams or in other ways or other false teachings that are not in Scripture, but today there are a lot of preachers that preach the things that are not written in Scripture saying that the Holy Spirit has revealed that to them. And I understand what Holy Spirit revealed this and what God. 
they did not check if they, their God has a tail or not. Because to listen to what wisdom says can be heard by only by the heart. And I have put wisdom in the heart of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. And so a wise heart is that heart that where the teaching of Jesus Christ is, where it's present. A person has allowed this teaching to be placed into their heart by listening to the word of God that is preached. People, a person himself does not or is not able to interpret. Uh, people interpret things, but they don't interpret correctly. Listen or, or look at the book of the theologians. You will be surprised what kind of revelations they have. As one brother told me who finished this College of Theology, an Institute of Theology. He says, Pastor, before this I was uh, a Christian, but after this, when I finished the Institute, I lost all faith in God. I have to be restored. Because there they present all forms of heresy there, all kinds of false teaching. One theologian interprets things one way, another another way. But you can also present your own opinion and when you present your own opinion there and you uh, you then receive uh, the doctorate of a theologian and of course when people begin to learn they say oh there I say oftentimes they listen as one Episcopal told me he was in our church and at one time he was in our church and he came to me and he said, Pastor, what you preach is not for the church. You need to preach in the institute, a biblical institute. And I said, you know that Jesus did not preach in an institute. He gathered the people that were able to hear uh, poor uh, fishermen and preach to them. And those Pharisees who completed the high institutes, the high colleges and so forth, were not able to understand anything, he said. The Church of Christ is God's institute. God will reveal His Word in the Church through God's delegated people and not in the institutes of theology. I'm not against these institutes if they're uh, established by a person of God and not by others. And again, still, I'd consider this uh, very doubtful. I'm not against, but I find it very doubtful. Why? Because nowhere in Scripture, in the New Testament, do I see that the apostles created out of the church separate uh, learning institutes where they would teach a more uh, expanded format of teaching. They did this all within the church. And, and the Holy Spirit worked. And people sometimes think, how can I understand this? One member of our church approached me. He says, I brought two people uh, today that never never went to church. They heard there was a God. Can you say, ta say something today uh, that isn't as difficult as you always speak because they won't understand? I immediately inside had great anger inside of myself. I thought, what? 
he thinks that the Holy Spirit can start changing things when he has plan plans for today. When the Holy Spirit turns to the people, he and if he turns to people, he makes... And two people come to me after the service. Uh, two people approach me and say, Pastor, we want to become members of the church. I, I said, where are you from? And from what church are you? I thought they, they said, we are from no church. I, I asked him, have you been in a church? They said, I've never, I've never been in a church. You've never been in a church? I've no. And you immediately want to become members? Yes. And I asked, did you understand what was spoken today? And I see behind them, this person stands. And they said, Pastor, as if it was all for me. And the other one just bent his head. But he didn't understand what was spoken. But these two people understood everything that was spoken. If God will reveal, then no one will be able to close it. There is a, a reason that is in man, not in God. Why? One understands the truth and others don't understand it because this is a hard heart. They're not ready to receive the order of God. They come as inspectors, not as teachers. And so God says, I have placed wisdom in the heart of all the gifted artisans in the revelation of only a wise heart. A wise heart is one that receives as a student instructions of faith about the kingdom of heaven. A person who possesses a wise heart that can hear the revelations of wisdom, wisdom being the Holy Spirit in his heart, can do so only if the Holy Spirit is the Lord and Master of the heart of this person. And for this purpose, it is necessary to die for your nation, for your house, and for your corrupt desires. In this way, the righteousness of God abiding within the heart of a man as evidence of the two broken tablets is determined within this person by the fact of his ability to listen in his heart the voice of the revelation of the Urim, that is the Holy Spirit, that we have received as the Lord and Master of our life. And this is by the preached word that comes in the church. And after which, by the means of the revelation of the Urim, to build yourself into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice that are pleasant to God by Jesus Christ. To be righteous is to develop a friendship with the wisdom of God and to love it as the Urim, that is the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 8, 12 through 21. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find this means a renewed mind, wisdom that's, uh, because with an old form of thinking, the wisdom of God will not dwell. And find out knowledge and discretion. As it says, virtue and the knowledge, if you remember, that's one of the fruits of righteousness. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and the rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. 
the path of righteousness contained within the two broken tablets of the covenant, the path by which the wisdom walks, wisdom being the Holy Spirit, is the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, that is called to abide within our heart in the quality of the Thummim, in the paths of justice that is contained in the format of teaching of the eternal judgment. Looking at the meaning contained in the parable, the righteous person is a person that has obtained a royal position or virtue, that he, by the wisdom that he has, legalizes righteousness or implements the righteousness of God within the boundaries of holiness, within the boundaries of which he finds treasures that do not die or destroyed. To be a, a king and a priest of the living God is establishing the righteousness of the law of God within the boundaries of your responsibility and not counsel with the flesh and not depend from the flesh. And for this purpose, it is necessary to hate evil. You can't counsel with the flesh if, if if you, you can't not counsel with the flesh if you will love evil. And evil is everything that comes from the flesh, even good work and evangelism, evangelism that comes from the flesh, sermons that come from the flesh, prayers that come from the flesh, uh, serving each other, uh, being inspired by the flesh. <laughs> because when a person serves from the flesh, he wants to seek some kind of glory for himself. But when he does good from God, he does not seek attention for himself or glory for himself. For, for him, a man is a secondary thing. He does for the sake of God and in the name of God. There's a difference between evil and good. To hate evil, hate everything that comes from the flesh, pride, arrogance, and a perverse mouth. This hatred is that power that gives man the ability to die for his nation, for his house, and for his corrupt desires. These aspects hold and spread all kinds of evil, pride, arrogance, and a perverse mouth. <clears throat> Without hatred for your nation, for your house, and for your corrupt desires, it is impossible to obtain a royal calling, to develop a friendship with the wisdom of God, and to love it as the Urim that is the Holy Spirit. In this way, the righteousness of God abiding within the heart of a man as evidence of the broken tablets of covenant of the covenant is called to be identified within man by the fact of his royal position, where he as a king and a priest of the living God legalizes righteousness within his heart, within the boundaries of holiness reflected within the boundaries of your responsibility and yourself. We need to govern ourselves as kings and priests and also over and within those boundaries of responsibility that are given to us by God. <clears throat> the righteousness of the righteous is identified by the right to inherit blessedness where all of his lawlessness is forgiven and his sins are covered and where God does not input sin for this man. This is how righteousness is identified within a man. Romans 4, 6 through 8. Paul took this from the Psalms of David. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God inputs righteousness apart from works. Is it to input righteousness or not input sin are the same thing. Blessed are those who law, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not input sin. Romans 4, 6 through 8. Blessedness is the state and atmosphere within the boundaries of which a person receives the ability to abide in blessing, praise, exaltation, and worship of God. Considering that blessedness where God doesn't input sin to man is within Jesus Christ, we can conclude 
conclude that this position and this atmosphere <coughs> identifies within the heart of a man the characteristic of the kingdom of heaven. And to have this position or atmosphere is only possible upon one condition. And this is to be conceived by the seed of the kingdom of heaven by receiving the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. And not looking at the fact that this is a choice and decision of man, to make this choice to receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven, a man can only after he will come out of the position of spiritual childhood of the flesh and will receive the ability to leave his nation and his house, receiving in his heart blessedness that is Jesus Christ, where God then does not input sin to us and taking responsibility upon yourself <coughs> to present the interests of Jesus Christ before heaven, the earth, and hell. In this way, the righteousness of God that abides, with, abides within the heart of a man <clears throat> as evidence of the two broken tablets is called to identify within man by the fact of blessedness where God does not input sin to man. If a person attempts to, <clears throat> after uh, sinning, to cover up his deeds with uh, kind works, uh, and other, kind works and other things, then this person does not know what justification is. Prayer and fasting is not needed uh, when you have sinned. Uh, if a sin is trying to attempt you, then you need uh, fasting and praying. But if you already sinned, you need to confess your sins and receive justification freely by grace so that you not have any illusion of an, that I received justification because I prayed and fasted and did righteous deeds. You need to first receive the gift of grace and only after that you live, begin living a righteous life. When you live a righteous life, life and you are attacked by sin, the attack of your nation, the attack of your house, and the attack of your corrupt desires. That's when we need fasting and praying. But after you've already sinned, you need to come and you just need to receive justification freely by grace and rejoice again within your heart and be dressed within the virtue of a warrior in prayer and confront the sin. The, the devil will continue to try to attack but you need until you uh, remove him and step upon his neck and you will do this when the cross of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the cross of Christ will separate you from this old sinful self that is the fab uh, the, 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 the factory that produces the sin you come and God due to his unchanging word when you will confess your sins if you confess your sins then he being faithful and true will forgive and cleanse you he will justify you but as soon as he cleansed and justified us if the old self is not uh, eliminated by the teaching of the cross of Christ a new sin is already produced even before you come out of the doors of the church in your mind in your emotions and so forth and your, even in your behaviors and words but when the old self will be eliminated by the teaching of the cross of Christ, then you will be calm. Sin will come, but it will not find you. We oftentimes speak of musical instruments. If there's a musical instrument, then you can play on it. But if you remove this musical instrument, what will you play on? 
the old self is as if an in, as an instrument, say an in, a musical instrument. And when you remove this musical instrument, then no one, the devil can't play on it anymore. But we have a new musical instrument. This is uh, the new person. Only the Holy Spirit can play upon it. He comes and begins to play his music we have two instruments two natures and one we need to eliminate otherwise you'll always have this conflict and difficulty <clears throat> further to be righteous means to deny your own personal righteousness that is based upon the law of, of, of deeds and put yourself into obedience or place yourself in obedience to the righteousness that is God's Romans 10, 3, 4 If they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes From this we can see that we can see that the reason for disobedience to the righteousness of God is ignorance and a hard heart or stiff neck Hosea 4, 6 My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge I also re will reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God I also will forget your children Hosea 4 6 and so when people do not understand the truth that doesn't mean they don't know it or they denied it and didn't want to hear it I s when God began to reveal the truth to me I thought oh when I go and I say these words to my neighbors to my friends they're gonna be so happy that they heard it and when I said it they looked at me very afraid actually and I said what but they say you understand that our surroundings don't understand that way and I said, who cares how they understand? Do you agree that the word of God, about, with the word of God? But they said, what will they say about us? I was surprised. I said, who cares what they say about me? What's important is the Lord revealed the truth. When it, you won't care at all what people say about you when you uh, care about what God reveals. But when you're binded by what people think, uh, I know that I, I remember I was in a Pentecost church, in our Pentecost church, and I, I came to the conclusion that uh, washing the feet, physically washing feet in the church was not a requirement, but this was a symbol of forgiving each other. And so they were washing feet, each other's feet. If you bring your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go and make peace with your brother and then come and bring your offering. Imagine I will come and say, Lord, forgive me, I sinned against my brother, but he'll say, wait, son or daughter, I don't receive your prayers, this kind of offering. It is not, you don't need to pray before me, or it is not, you didn't sin against me, you sinned against your wife, your children, your husband, your, your relative. Uh, go ask forgiveness and then come to me and our relationship will be good. Jesus showed that in this situation, this is a washing of the feet, symbolizing washing of the feet. And when I uh, found per scripture that it was not even the day of the Passover, and I came to the pastor and said, listen, washing the feet is actually not a commandment. He says, I know. But I said, how do you, how is it you know? I was surprised. 
I was surprised and I had anger. How is it you know? Then why didn't you tell us before this time? But he said, what other, well, other churches say about us? They'll say we're not spiritual. And I said, because of this, because of what churches will say, you dared to not tell the church the truth that this is just a symbol of how to forgive each other and love each other. This is a commandment of love and not a physical command that needs to be done or washing of feet, physically washing of feet during communion. I said, okay, I said, I'm not going to wash my feet during this, uh, the time of communion, I won't wash my feet, and he said, okay, and so everyone knew that I was a spiritual person, and loved God, and one brother leans over to me and asks, why are you not washing your feet, and I said, where is it written? And his eyes came out of his head almost. Uh, how can you say this? And I said, show me. And, and then when I showed him the truth, he said, then why are we washing our feet? And I said, because the pastor is cowardly. He doesn't want, he's afraid what others will say. And I asked him, and he said he knows this is not needed. And the others started telling other. He started telling others. This gentleman, after a month or two, two thirds of the choir already were not washing their feet. And then this quietly went uh, went through the whole church, and two thirds of the people already weren't washing their feet. They were just waiting for whoever was. And finally, one zealous person stood up and asked, "Do you not pay attention that?" Our respected preacher doesn't wash his feet and now has tempted the whole church. Now the whole church is almost not washing. He he started saying against me. And he said, oh, yes, let us now gather a brotherly council. Each one prepare by... Uh, uh, prepare a theme in accordance to scripture, he says, and we will judge this. And they all gathered... And he told me, began, I said, no, there are many of you, you begin. And he says, don't try to act foolishly, you know how we all think. He's, he's trying to uh, kindle uh, the flames around, uh, around me. When I explained everything, all the brothers looked confused and then and then if so what are we going to do others what will other churches think he said the pastor and one of the episcopal stood up and said listen who cares what other people are thinking let us look at how God is looking at us are you willing to uh, remove this service and all said yes and they gather the church and he stands up and says the brothers have found in scripture that washing of feet is not a command, and so we remove the service of washing feet during communion. Without any division, the washing of feet within our church was removed as a command. And and so why am I saying this? Because 
not understanding the righteousness of God. People not understand it, not because they, they couldn't, but because they didn't want to, and they will be eliminated. And so the righteousness of man is always identified by his obedience to the faith of God that is possible upon one condition when this person leaves the position of spiritual childhood and leaves from under the power and and control of his soul, his flesh. And so the righteousness of God abiding within the heart of a person is called to be identified in man by the fact of his obedience to the faith of God that comes from hearing the word of God and that is identified within our heart as the Urim, the, the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. To be righteous is to show within your, with your life before God such a form of the kingdom of God that would depend from the food that is for eternal life, which is identified as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans 14, 17, 18. Practically, it's not possible at the same time to depend from the food that is perishable and food that is for eternal life. We need to note that perishable food in its consistency and different variations is not uh, just organic things or anything else that people may think that we buy with silver. Therefore, the main criteria of perishable food is silver that is equivalent of money for which we, behind which stands mammon. Not servant, no servant, servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will love, he will be loyal to the one and despise the other, Luke 16, 13. A person unable to present evidence that he, he has within himself the kingdom of heaven and has these virtues that are expressed within righteous peace and joy in the Holy Spirit will not be able to serve Jesus Christ because peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is nothing is the fruit of righteousness these are not separate things peace and joy in the holy spirit are already are the fruits already the fruits of righteousness itself the fruit is the state of the heart which is the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven within the heart of a man and in this situation it's talking about the personified peace which is jesus christ where two battling between each other uh, nations uh, uh, come together, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so this kind of peace is the relationship you have with uh, um, the relationship you have with God in Ephesians 2 13 through 18 we see but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for if he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained 
and ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting the death of enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. In this way, the righteousness of God that abides within the heart of a man as evidence of the two broken tablets from one side is called to ident be identified within a man by the fact of his dependence from the food that, ab that is abides for eternal life, that is of the holy peace, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And from the other side, the righteousness of God is called to identify, be identified within man by being part, uh, be, by being the new person in Christ Jesus, that is made of two nations, Jews and Gentiles. And so, if we will not have this change to the nation of Israel, like the opinion we have, if they will not have, their opinion will not change towards the Gentiles, they will not inherit salvation. Because in Christ Jesus, we are one. If we don't accept this fact, then we don't accept the redeeming sacrifice of Christ. Considering that our time is practically up, we right now will pray, we will bend our heads in prayer, however who is comfortable, and we will thank God that we are justified with a great justification and now we can perform righteousness based upon the fact that we are justified. Only the justifi justified can perform righteousness. We more and more are submerging into how to identify righteousness within ourselves, learning this discipline in order to inherit rapture in our salvation because rapture that the scriptures talk about through the span of all scripture is so close that our generation will be a witness of the rapture of the sudden disappearance of a specific category of people from the earth the chosen by God remainder that will have within themselves the kingdom of heaven that has come in full power that will be dressed into the resurrection of Christ we wait for all of those who can right now confront and perform a complete victory will be able to receive and accept before God the victory that is theirs. Amen. Right now I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is on your side. He is for you. He is not against you. He truly can within the blink of an eye cleanse you from your sins, from your fall, from your fears, can restore your relationship with Him. Everything will depend on whether you're ready to receive that. Are you able to agree with it? Are you able to uh, listen, not look at the mud that you were in, but to be drawn from that and cleansed? Close your eyes, lift your hands to God, a sign that you're ready to receive from God what He desires to give you. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with a broken heart, with dishonor. I ask you, forgive me 
Wash me. Cleanse me. Heal my wounds. Heal my pain. I want to restore my relationship with you. I love you. I believe in your power that with you I can overcome my dependences from sin. I can overcome my fears of, of sickness, poverty, darkness. And right now, I open up my heart for your words so that you, by the Holy Spirit, would enter in as the Lord and Master of my life. I receive you, I proclaim you as the Lord of my life, that you, upon the throne of my heart, would be able to rule over me, and I would follow you. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. And now all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.